When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, another Monday Madness. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Doug Lay Maurice. We usually start off Monday Madness by looking back at the previous Ohio State game, a 56 to 7 victory over Michigan State in this case, but we decided to do exactly as the Buckeyes themselves are doing and move right on to the game and actually take a a look back at Michigan, whether that was their game yesterday against Maryland, a comfortable win, whether that was some other stuff from the season. But Doug, you've been following Michigan. We always do. We always follow Michigan somewhat all season. You for the college football playoff uh the 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 college football showdown show what is it (laughs) cultural eliminator separator our ip is is struggling at the moment with the name change college football survivor show survivor i couldn't remember i danced around it i couldn't land on it the college football survivor show you've probably also been watching them for that because they've been on the fringe of this playoff conversation but how inevitable did it seem like this would get to this point where you'd have this game deciding who goes to the Big Ten championship game, who ultimately stays in the playoff conversation. Yeah, I, I don't think it was inevitable because, for instance, in some ways, I think like Penn State and Michigan are similar teams this year, right? Mm-hmm. That as we always talk about, this is nothing new to any Ohio State fan who listens to anybody. It's not like we have the corner on this, but like Michigan and Penn State are the only people in the Big Ten who recruit anywhere within the zip code of what Ohio state does. And they're still quite a bit behind, but those teams always have a couple guys, right? They always have a couple guys, but you also have some holes. And I think you look at a team like Penn state and they're going to end up record wise underachieving this year based on, I think who their best guys are where Michigan has avoided that. And Michigan needs credit for that. They're not a perfect team. They've found how to play. They have some standout individuals. And I was just re-watching, you know, chunks of the Penn State-Michigan game from two weeks ago. Like, Michigan found a way to win that game. And so you deserve a lot of credit for that. Michigan is not 
off the charts talented one through 22, but you can see how they have guys who can jump up in moments. They sort of stick to a plan that they have. And then a guy like Aiden Hutchinson is a potential game changer on the defensive line. So I think Michigan had to fight pretty hard to get here. I know people are having discussions right now. Is this the best team of the Harbaugh era? Which I think it's certainly in the discussion. I probably would still take the 2016 team right now. I'm not going to pretend I'm fully a Michigan expert. You know, I've watched a lot of their stuff. I'm going to watch more of their stuff this week. And by the time we get to the game preview, I will have an even better handle on this, but they are a good team that I think looks well coached. It is not oozing with top tier talent all over the place, but they kind of fight their butts off, man. And that starts with the way they run the ball. They don't run the ball with giant gashes in the offensive line necessarily. They grind that stuff out and they'll pound it until it, until it breaks through and they don't give up on it. And then they everything in their passing game works off of that. So, you know what? We talked a lot in the offseason about how Jim Harbaugh had reshaped his entire assistant coaching staff. And, you know, Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, is a holdover. But they look well coached to me. And they have some pretty good players. And they fought to get to this point. It was not at all guaranteed for them was doing my AP poll this week and there were a bunch of different tiers where I was going back through records and season performances and comparing teams. And Michigan was in a cluster of teams I was doing that with. And if you go by the football outsiders rankings going into last week, and this is the overall rankings. They had wins on the road against the number five team on that list, which is Wisconsin. They had a win on the road against the number 14 team on the list, which is Penn state and the number 25 team on that list also on the road, Nebraska. Now, those are not top 25 teams in a couple of cases, especially Nebraska. The football outsiders rankings being more a, a measure of how difficult a team is to beat than how good a team is, if that makes any sense in some ways. But I think, again, that is, is reflective a little bit of what you're talking about, which is just kind of like the grit that I feel like this team has. And that I've from watching them in, in spurts throughout the season, I think that has come through in a lot of games, even the game they lost to Michigan State. I thought you still saw some of that that toughness. I think these past two weeks, though, have crystallized the problem of trying to cover Ohio State, which is I think we're going to spend this podcast and other podcasts talking about what Michigan State is. And it's a very different question as to whether that's going to matter. <laughs> like we, we spent a lot of time. Is, what, yeah. Yeah. What, yeah Michigan what Michigan is. Yes. We spent a lot of time talking about what Purdue was. It didn't matter. We spent a lot of time talking about what Michigan State was. It didn't matter. And now I feel like I'm sort of seeing maybe that same thing playing out this week. I think we can have a very honest and accurate conversation about what Michigan is and what it does well and what challenges it might present. But if Ohio State's doing what it's done the last two weeks, it may not matter. No, that's and that may be true against everybody except Georgia. Yes. Right. That we, we may be doing the same thing in a playoff matchup against Cincinnati, which we're going to talk about at the end of the podcast. Right. Like that's we may be doing the same thing for Ohio State against Wisconsin. We're going to be talking about, hey, this Wisconsin running back who's a freshman has really come a long way. And now they're back to their identity. And Graham Mertz is managing the game. And I'll tell you what, you know, the back seven in Wisconsin doesn't matter. Right. I mean, we may talk ourselves blue. So. That's a fact. 
That is a fact, and we have dabbled with that reality all year. We talked about this a month ago. As the Ohio State offense reached the point where nothing else matters. And then I think we decided that was the case. And then they played Nebraska. And we're like, oh no, I guess, I guess it doesn't. Like, so like again, the Nebraska game just has thrown off a lot of stuff because it's it's really kind of a trend line otherwise, right? That it's like they just keep it better and better and you can't stop them. You can't stop it. So, you know, and then I thought, you know, even even what happened Saturday that we had talked a lot about. Well, Chris Olave had a big game, and Jackson Smith and Jigba had a big game, and Garrett Wilson had a big game. And then we had the game where they all have 100 receiving yards, right? And that they only use Travion Henderson as much as he's needed, and C.J. Stroud is completely in control. I thought, I thought this Michigan State game offensively sort of was a peak for Ohio State. But the thing I've talked about with Michigan is I think they do have three-level dudes, right? That that, And I think they'll blitz you a little bit. Just watch, again, I'm not – where I am right now, I rewatched most of the Maryland game and I was rewatching chunks of the Penn State game this morning. And they will bring well timed blitzes right when they can throw you off. And so if you have a couple guys in your front four who can already get after it, and then you bring smart blitzes behind it, and this is this Mike McDonald guy, this is this young defensive coordinator that people really were high on when Michigan hired him away from the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, they had a play where, and I, this is my favorite thing. You blitz like your super talented linebacker right behind your super talented defensive end. And it's like every down your offensive line is good up. Oh, we got to block Aiden Hutchinson. And then Josh Rosh blitzes right behind him. It's like, well, that blew everything up. You can see them do that at times. You can see them bring late blitzers right through the right gap and get home. And so, you know, we've spent a decent amount of time on this podcast this year talking about the play callers that Ohio State is going against sort of on both sides of the ball. We've spent a lot of time on Joe Moorhead because with Ohio State, there's a, a level of talent that the opposition needs to have to have a chance. But then you've got to have the person calling it who knows how to utilize it and can outguess and out chess match Ohio State. And I and compared to where they were with Don Brown who just Ryan day had his number. I think the Michigan defense is substantially better off, especially against Ohio state. And they have enough talent to make it interesting. So I think maybe it doesn't matter, Nathan, but if it does, maybe Michigan has some pieces and a play caller to do something. I also rewatched some of the Maryland game from last night, uh, this morning. And before I did that, I, I wanted to go find, because I look back at the numbers, like Michigan is second in the big 10 in passing yards allowed per game, second in yards per attempt allowed. And they're just, and they're virtually tied with Penn state. And obviously Penn state was a team that Ohio state had some trouble with um, trying to move the ball and, and score, especially in the red zone. They're fourth in opposing quarterback rating. Um, not that different though than Ohio state, which is a fifth place team. So think of them maybe in the kind of the same category as Ohio state fourth in sacks per game. Although that also lines up a little bit with the number of attempts that they've faced, if, if that makes sense. So I was like, okay, that was pretty solid numbers. So like, what's the like closest offense to Ohio state that I could go back and rewatch that game and maybe get an idea of how they would attack it. That, that doesn't exist. Like there's, there just yeah. isn't, there just isn't that option. So I thought, all right, we'll, we'll just go with the most recent one with Maryland. And I feel like we should just talk about Aiden Hutchinson right away because he 
made a presence in this game right away. I the rewatch that I found, there was a cut up, and it it misses the first plays of the game. So Maryland and the opening drive of the game has already crossed midfield, and then the next three plays of the game are Hutchison pressuring Talia Tagovailoa into an incompletion, uh, Hutchison getting blocked, and the Maryland tackle doing a good job holding him up and talk about Lola throws the ball and Hutchinson just reaches up with a big paw and swats, swats it away. And then they do a swing pass on third and five and Hutchinson sees it right away, follows yeah. it, runs parallel to it. Just beautifully, very disciplined player. It's not just all like have havoc and fury. Like I feel like he plays with a lot of discipline, follows it, tackles a guy for a loss. And they then Maryland cowards out and tries a 48 yard field goal on fourth and four at home against a top 10 team and misses and Bob's your uncle. So I thought that everything that you have heard about Aiden Hutchinson is, I think, correct. I think he is like the challenge that Ohio State faced with Carl Aftis, although I think he might be better. I think he might be a better all-around defensive player than Carl Aftis was. Very quick off the snap, good anticipation, good, I mean, ex- good explosion off the snap. He's He is moving like you go back. I like doing that with Chase Young. You go back and watch Chase Young. And you'd you'd freeze the ball, you'd freeze the the play right as the ball is snapped, and Chase Young was moving, and nobody else on either side of the ball was moving yet. And Chase Young is moving. Aiden Hutchinson has a little bit of that in him. So, and I did think they are just a little bit of a run to the ball kind of defense that makes me wonder about the bubble screens and the passes that are an extension of the run game that Ryan Day loves to talk about when we see Ohio State be effective with that. I wonder if they'll be less effective with that. Not that it's always going to be Hutchison chasing that down, but they also have, again, I'm a big Josh Ross fan. And I think I've called him John Ross at times in this podcast, I realized. I don't know why I had that mental block. Josh Ross, who, again, there's been some really good linebackers in the Big Ten. He's certainly one of them. And they'll run to the ball. They will really run to the ball. And so that is an issue for sure. And I completely agree on that. But there is another thing with this Michigan defense that I'm trying to get a handle on that I was a little surprised about because I don't see it with Ojabo. Hutchinson and Ojabo are tied for the Big Ten lead in sacks with 10. I saw one play where Ojabo, they didn't block him and he got a sack. And I'm not, I'm, I, I have, I'm far from watching every David Ojabo snap this year. He doesn't look to be like he does much. He's not, he is not winning one on one battles. And, and they just, so Ojabo's on one side and Hutchinson's on the other, and they flip flop, they swap. So Dewan Jones and Nicholas Petit Frere are going to be blocking those two guys the whole game, and they don't know snap to snap who they're going to get. And we had talked about what happens when you face a team with more than one guy, and you can't just game plan like the Buckeyes game plan for Karloftis. My instinct right now is they game plan for Hutchinson, and they figure the other the, the tackle dealing with Ojabo is fine, and that all all the the blocking assignments lean to Hutchinson. The back, if there's no blitzer, the back is worried to Hutchinson. The tight end, you can motion, you put the tight end with Hutchinson because I don't think Ojabo, he's tied with Hutchinson for most sacks. I think he might be the fourth best defensive end in this game. That if we're right, if we're drafting defensive ends, it's Hutchinson one. And then I think I'd take Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison two and three, and then Ojabo four. So that lessened my inclination of, ooh, how much trouble could maybe Michigan 
give Ohio State with the pass rush because I think he's a lot of empty stats so far. And I reserve the right to change my mind by the pregame pod that'll come out Thursday if I've watched a lot of stuff. And no offense to David Ojabo's family, but that's where I am right now. But I think both of us have watched games earlier this year where it felt like he was more active, more of a presence. I, I, I felt that way earlier. I did not feel that way watching this Maryland game, certainly, though. And I think you might be right that it may be a, a situation where there's the, the frontline guy in Hutchinson, the guy who is the, the true presence, and then who is then effectively taking advantage of that, like playing off of that, getting, yeah. their, getting their production off of that. I think it's the correct read that of the two, Ohio State has to be more concerned with and game plan for Hutchinson. And I think you're probably right that if Ojabo beats you one-on-one, you're going to maybe take that risk. Yeah. And again, it's like, well, with a lot of this stuff, it's, well, what if you don't have two great tackles and then it's an issue, but Ohio state does. So man, having two great tackles is a big deal. They had it last year and they have it this year. We can't pretend they have it every single year. Oftentimes they'll have like a really good tackle and a nice solid tackle, but they have like two, Really good tackles. Again, PFF was out with the stats this morning, and we saw it with our own eyeballs that NPF and Dewan Jones didn't give up a pressure the whole game. Like they just, they don't give up most. They had the little, they had the Penn State hiccup. They gave stuff up against Penn State. There are so many games this year where neither of their tackles literally has given up a single thing the whole game. So I'm glad you bring up Penn State because I did see Michigan doing something against Maryland that was similar to what Penn State did that gave Ohio State some problems. And that was some of the pre-snap shifts that they would Mm -hmm. do on the defensive line. And so that kind of goes back to what you were saying before that, okay, having the talent is one thing. How do you deploy the talent? How do you strategically move that talent around and utilize it? And timing is crucial in in those sorts of things too. So that's one thing I kind of have my eyes on for Saturday is does Michigan – Again, talent equated or not, can they use their talent in a way that Ohio State isn't expecting or, or that makes at least makes Ohio State have to have that momentary think on the field instead of just a reaction that causes some of those problems? Because it clearly did cause a problem against Penn State. So where I am, I think, with this Michigan thing, it's, it's actually, again, we'd like, to, we'd like to try to make comparisons because it gives a little context. I'm, I'm almost feeling like, as much as we talked about Mel Tucker and Michigan State, and are were they like I said, they're more like the Mark D'Antonio Michigan State teams of the past than maybe this Purdue team had been like Purdue teams of the past, and trying to provide some context of should Ohio State fans have any concerns. This Michigan team almost reminds me of a D'Antonio team in that it's like physical, grind it out, but then take risks because I do think they'll bling, bring some blitzes. I don't think they're just going to sit back and drop eight and allow CJ Stroud and just think like, we'll cover, 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 cover. And then I like, I don't think they'll only rely on their front four, even though their two ends each have 10 sacks. I think they're going to bring some stuff. And then on the other side of the ball, they're as good on fourth down as any team in the big 10. They've tried it 22 times. They've made it 13 times. I don't think Harbaugh is going to come down and kick a bunch of field goals in the red zone against Ohio state, which again, Mel Tucker, like you just can't do it. And, and James Franklin did it against Michigan. Like you can't do it. So I, I like a team that's like, listen, we got to lean into what we do well and grind, 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 grind. But then we're going to roll the dice. Not like one time a game, but like six times a game. 
And I think they might do it on both sides of the ball. I'm not saying it's going to work, but I'm saying, man, if you're trying to find some kind of game plan against a supremely talented opponent like Ohio State, that's not a bad way to try it. I think you're right. I want to delve into a little bit more defensively before we get into the offensive side of things. But last week, the numbers were there for, I mean, Michigan State came in allowing the most passing yards in the nation. That number got even worse against State, obviously. Pretty much by the end of like the first quarter, I think their number had had gotten worse. Michigan, again, doesn't have that. Michigan's defensive numbers are more solid, and especially against the pass, are more solid than Michigan State's were. What have you seen just at the back end of this Michigan defense? Is there, do you think there is more there that can challenge Ohio State or slow Ohio State up or going to make things tougher for this, this three-man attack? No, I, I mean, I think it probably, although we talked about as one of the, someone on Twitter was, was bringing this up that, you know, Michigan State's efficiency metrics in past defense were much better than their total. I, I talked about that last week. Yeah, and, yeah. and we did talk about it that week, that last week. And I said that. I said we talked about it in the pregame show, but it's like a reminder for anybody who's trying to dismiss C.J. Stroud's performance for some reason. You know, they were more like a middle-of-the-pack pass defense when you go to efficiency. Um, I don't know, right? It feels like Michigan at times they're okay with maybe so taking away, trying to take away some of that RPO stuff. I mean, they'll run to the ball. I don't know. I think they still might be – vulnerable deep right this might be a chris olave game i think they i think they're going to try to come after you and then make you try to get rid of the ball and then try to defend the middle of the field and that kind of thing i i don't know if they have a great corner i don't have a huge read on that yet but i think some of the play action stuff some of the let's set people up and rely on our tackles even against guys with 10 sacks to give cj stroud enough time to take a shot I think the shot still might be there. They're not going to run as free. The main thing is, and again, I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on Michigan's back seven right now. The main thing is that Ohio State fans who watched Ryan Day's offense and these Ohio State players shred Don Brown's man-to-man. That's not what this is anymore. So it's not just going to be, hey, look, there's a matchup, even against like a talented Michigan player, there's a matchup, there's a mesh route, there's a crossing route, the the guy's trailing and man, boom. It's a different style of defense. And it it just it won't be as easy as it has been the last two times against Michigan for Ohio State. It might be kind of easy, but it won't be that easy because that was just a destruction. What I think I'm most curious about is again, going back to the coaching side of things. You know, preparation and all that is important. Developing the talent over the course of a season, getting them ready to play at this level is important. But I think there's also, as we talk about what Michigan State's or Michigan has done, what we've seen from Michigan, how we think they'll line up, you always have to reserve for that wrinkle that maybe they bring out just for this matchup. I think you almost have to have a little bit of something like that. Like the, the comparable to like Ohio State last week goes up against Michigan State and all of a sudden Craig Young's playing slot cornerback. That's something that hadn't been on film all season, sorry, cover safety. Like that was something that you really hadn't, they hadn't done in any real way. So I, I don't know. I don't know that there's like, I'm not saying that there's a magic carpet that they can pull out. That's going to make a difference, but I am curious, like, are they going to come up with some little wrinkle in the look that they give Ohio state that just to try to confuse CJ Stroud, at least momentarily and, and make him have to make an adjustment. 
so listen, this is, you don't want to give too much credit to a guy, but Ryan Day came in as an offensive play caller for Ohio State and sort of like made a difference right away in the rivalry, I think. And Mike McDonald as a defensive coordinator, I think has a chance to do that for Michigan. That this is, if you said, what, what does Michigan need to do? I mean, the first thing they have to do is hold, is hold Ohio State under 60. They can't score 60. So, like, you got to do that. So they addressed that. They, they got rid of the guy who was calling the defenses that Ryan Day was shredding, that Ryan Day owned the Don Brown matchup. And now Mike McDonald, again, who was hired from Jim Harbaugh's brother, I mean, they, they talked about Ohio State in the interview. They had to. Even Jim Harbaugh, who people think maybe hasn't emphasized the rivalry enough, they talked about it in the interview, or it was a bad interview. Talk to me about how you slow down Ohio State. So he has to have something, and he's coming from the NFL. And again, I don't, I'm not saying Mike McDonald's there, Ryan Day, but Ryan Day was a college guy who went to the NFL. Like it's all that stuff. You get your PhD in football when you go go to the NFL and you're not recruiting. And you're only, and there's no limits on your work day and all that stuff. You just do football all the time. That's what this guy is. He's young and people think he's smart. And I think you're exactly right. He has to have something in reserve for these guys because this is the whole deal. So doesn't mean it'll work, but I, this guy, I think has done a pretty good job so far this year. Again, Mike McDonald hired from the Baltimore Ravens. Let's take a break right there. We're going to come back and talk about Michigan on the offensive side of the ball here on Monday Madness. Another run first attack that Ohio State is playing from the Mitten State this week. Michigan has a couple guys in the backfield that can really run. Doug, as you've sort of watched him over the course of the year, we don't know, I guess, is Blake Horm going to play on Saturday? He did not play against Maryland, correct? Dressed. I think, but did not, but did not play, but like, it was a big deal that he was sort of there. Yeah. It was kind of a game time decision maybe, or at least that he's making progress back. So that's along with Hassan Haskins, that would be like a second problem in the backfield. Last time Ohio state played a team that had two productive backs in the backfield, they lost to Oregon, but obviously that was, uh, you know, 10 weeks and a very different kind of season ago for the Buckeyes. But again, the, the things that we were describing, the, the words we were describing them on defense with are a lot of the same ones that I think of, maybe even more so on offense, that this just being a very physical and kind of gritty offensive approach. I mean, they, they are uh, that doesn't mean that it's three yards in a cloud of dust. I think I, you know, they, they do a good job, like opening up run lanes and getting gashes. Any team, once you get these guys into the second level, if they're still upright and they haven't lost their balance, then it can become a problem. And that's what this offense has been. I don't think it's at this point, it's not something they're apologizing for. You know, Jim Harbaugh, the, the question that we've always had about him is like, when is he going to develop the quarterback? The, the guy that could come out and really spray the ball around and and he can be the, you know, the champion of this offense. And very unapologetically, Michigan has just said, that's not what this team is anyway. Maybe that's still coming. Maybe J.J. McCarthy will be that. But this team is, the, the foundation is what they do on the ground. It's closer to three yards in a cloud of dust than like maybe anybody outside of Wisconsin has done well yeah. in the Big Ten in a while. Um, plays per game, Ohio State is 
averaging 36 pass plays per game and 34 run plays per game. So that's pretty balanced, slightly lean towards the pass. Michigan is averaging 43 run plays per game and 28 pass plays. So they're running the ball nine times more per game than Ohio State is. Yards per carry in the nation, Ohio State is 5.82 yards per carry. That's first in the nation. Michigan is 5.08. That's 29th. It's slightly behind Michigan State. Yards per game, Ohio uh, Ohio State's rushing for 197 per, per game. That's 31st in the nation. Michigan's rushing for 218. That's 15th in the nation. Bottom line, Michigan has run the ball 100 more times than Ohio State this year. It's 473 to 373. And they gain about 21 yards more per game. So they're running it a lot more. They're not gaining a ton more yards. Hassan Haskins. So here's the thing about Blake Corm. I don't think they need him because two things are happening here for Michigan. One is Hassan Haskins is a tough freaking dude. That guy, they pound that guy into the line. He'll wait. Sometimes he'll have runs where he's really patient and he waits for a hole to open up. Sometimes he just puts his head down and tries to barrel over people. I mean, they, they hand him the ball on third and two sometimes, and the play is, here, I hope you get it. We'll block it okay, but you're going to get hit before you get to the first down marker, and then you've got to do something. And he does it. He, I, I, he's a really tough guy, and he is carrying the load without quorum. But then there's Donovan Edwards, and like they dropped a bomb on Maryland that is like, okay, I'm almost surprised they did it. Because to me, it's like, that's what you save for the Ohio State game. But we talked about it after the, on the postgame pod. They threw, Donovan Edwards is a five-star recruit, a running back that Ohio State was in on. It's, it's in the, I haven't talked about the book for a while. Great Christmas gift. Find it on my Twitter. But in the Trayvon Henderson chapter, I talked to Tony Alford about this. I think other people talked about it. Like, some teams were trying to use Donovan Edwards as a way to get Trevian Henderson to not commit to Ohio state. Cause they were like, Hey, Ohio state's still in on Donovan Edwards. And so T- Tony Alford called Donovan Edwards and said like, Hey, can you tell Trevion Henderson? I'm not recruiting you anymore. So he doesn't think that. And Donovan Edwards was like, yeah, cool. I'll do that. Cause Tony Alford was like, I love Donovan Edwards, even though he's going to Michigan, like he's my guy. I care about him. So I can ask him that like as a favor. So this is, this is Donovan Edwards is a real dude. He's five-star dude. And they threw him the ball 10 times like crazy. He ran it a little bit, but here's my comparison. This again, it's not like Michigan has a ton of five-star skill players. This is one of them. He's a true freshman. It's like, if you put Jackson Smith and Jigma in the backfield and now they're just like, because when Ryan day, Rob Oller from the dispatch was asking Ryan day after the game, Hey, sort of break down the three Ohio state receivers. How are they different? And Ryan Day was talking about like spatial awareness and short area quickness with Jackson Smith and Jigma, which is the kind of stuff he also said about Garrett Wilson last year and Garrett Wilson was in the slot. And now he's talking about Garrett Wilson with like catch radius and strength and that kind of thing. Cause it is a little bit different when you're outside, but forever, any, any Ohio state guy in the slot, it's about spatial awareness and short area quickness. Cause it's like, we want to throw you little stuff over the middle and you've got to get open quickly and then once you get it, like the Jackson, remember the times like Jackson Smith, the Jigba this year has caught the ball eight yards from the line of scrimmage and then exploded 70 yards down the field. That's what Michigan wants Donovan Edwards to do. So it's like, if you just had Jackson, it's like, well, what can we do? Well, who can we work? Who could work the middle of the field and be explosive? They don't have a receiver who can do it. They got a five-star running back who they decided last week to use that way. So it's like, I don't, why would you put Coram in the game? 
If you want to pound the ball in the run game, put in Haskins. Tell him to put his, his shoulder pads down. And if you want to try to be explosive, put Edwards in the game and try to get him matched up on linebackers. Run these little Texas route, these little slants over the middle and stuff. A lot of that worked last week. So it's like the next, it's another phase of this Michigan offense. And I think Blake Corn probably doesn't matter, but they got two guys in the backfield who are dangerous in their own ways. It's just, I, I know people probably feel like this is unfair. It, we talked about this a little bit after the game. I still think, I don't know that I'm convinced that Ohio State can stop a team that comes out and runs the ball and like emphasizes it. And especially if they have two weapons like this, but it goes, that goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Like maybe it doesn't matter. We, we just, we, it, it's hard to like get a gauge on like how much it'll matter because if the offense is doing what it does. And again, as we talked about, it was the offense and defense in, in combination that built that 28, nothing lead that then completely takes Michigan state out of what it wants to do. If Ohio state does that again, then I don't know what Michigan does. You're not going to run your way back into that game. So we, we talked about it again in the postgame pod. I just went back just to watch the beginning of Ohio State's defense against Michigan State. And, and it was they just did it on the first series and they established a tone. The first snap, Haskell Garrett just destroys the left guard for Michigan State. He's practically untouched yeah. into the backfield. He doesn't actually make the tackle, but Craig Young is run blitzing on that play and helps clean it up with Steel Chambers because, by the way, guess what? Steel Chambers was attacking the hole also. So it was like Haskell Garrett got in the backfield and then two dudes who were attacking the run at the second level got there. That was their first down. Second down, I put it on Twitter. I, was, I loved it so much. Jaden Reed from the slot, their best receiver, runs a little route, but they dropped Zach Harrison in coverage. Zach, 6'6", six, six, Zach Harrison is covering six-foot-tall Jaden Reed. He boxes him out. Peyton Thorne can't even see him. Now, it's... a Zach Harrison is so athletic. It was like a Zach, that's like a Zach Harrison NFL play. Hey, drop that guy in coverage. Oh, what are you doing? Six foot six pass rusher, Zach Harrison. Oh, on this play, I'm covering Michigan State's best receiver. What's happening? Nobody can see him because my coverage is so good. Now, Peyton Thorne made a different throw to the tight end and got a first down on that play. Next play, Zach Harrison, they're throwing it. And this is the thing, Nathan, that I think with the be on why it matters for Michigan. Michigan State did not come out and try to pound the ball with Kenneth Walker III because there's a little bit of this reverse psychology stuff. It's like, well, we know that's what we do best. We know that's what they're going to try to stop. Maybe we'll try to do something a little different to throw them off. And like that didn't work for Michigan State either. So Josh Gaddis has to decide how he's going to attack here. But after they get that first down, Zach Harrison swats the next pass down. And there's something I want to talk about swatting passes down. And when we get to the quarterback play here, second down screen to Kenneth Walker, the third Haskell Garrett reads it the whole way, completely blows it up. Third down Haskell Garrett destroys the left guard again. And like, that's it. And so like, and that's their first drive and it's Haskell Garrett, just like, like destroying their offense. And Zach Harrison just being like, I can do anything that you ask me to do. I can swat balls down. I can cover your best receiver, but you're not getting anything. And like, that was it. And that was like the last time Michigan State could do what they wanted to do offensively. And then they got behind. So there's a lot of that that I think can translate for Ohio State in trying to stop this Michigan offensive attack. But I'm really curious of the reverse game, right, of they're a running team. They've got to do this. So they're going to not do that. But we think they won't not do that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what Michigan's if you if you script. Right. What are Michigan's first 20 plays going to look like? how many of them will be runs. Cause I do think Michigan instinctively, I think if you, you know, they do a lot of like, it's first and 10, what's your first and 10 play. I hand off up the middle. What happened? I got three. 
what was your second down play? Uh, handoff up the middle. It's like, what happened? Oh, Hassan Haskins broke three tackles and got eight. Cool. First down, right? That they can fall into that, but then they also, sometimes they'll make throws when they need to. So I'm fascinated to see the chess match of how Michigan decides to try to attack Ohio state. Yeah, I mean, again, as the amateur, I would go in and be like, well, I've got a fresh offensive line and I've got a defense that knows that I'm run first. So I'm going to come out and ask that defensive line to hold up and I'm going to do like play action or something, take a deep shot right off the bat, like make Ohio state show me that it has the discipline not to fall for that fake and, and, and give my receivers a chance to make a play. But uh, you rarely see that. It seems like teams do sort of go something a little bit more safe to, to start things off. I, it, I, I, I Go ahead. It, I just, it, that's one part of the, I do think that part of the Michigan passing game is not there as much. Like again, yeah. they lost their best receiver the first game of the year. I don't, a lot of their stuff is like, is like over the middle slants, try to hit guys on the move. The play they won the Penn state game on was like a crossing route to a tight end where literally two Penn state defenders ran into each other because they meshed them. And then the tight end caught it and ran 40 yards down the sideline, right? That that's, that's how they're going to have to hit the passing game just very quickly. Cause again, I looked up other stats rushing plays of 20 yards or more this season. In the Big Ten, Michigan State leads with 23. Ohio State and Michigan are tied for second with 20. So explosive run plays, they're tied. Expos- explosive passing plays in the Big Ten. Ohio State leads with 57 of 20 yards or more. Michigan is seventh with 34. So they're going to try to – they can make throws, I think, on third down sometime. Michigan's third down conversion rate is okay. It's actually, and the, but their fourth down conversion rate is pretty darn good. It's over 50%, but it's a lot of, there are a lot of sometimes Cade McNamara will make a throw on third and seven. I, I just don't think they're going to threaten you down the field all that much. Well, let's talk about Cade McNamara because you were sort of hinting at going there, I think, earlier. And as I've watched him over the course of this season, and we talked about him a lot before the season, like, is this going to be the guy that Michigan pens? It's season on, or will they quickly move on to the five-star J.J. McCarthy that's coming in behind him and, and is on the team and has seen reps this year? And when I watch him, I don't see a bad quarterback, but I see an erratic quarterback. Yes. I see someone who will sometimes really thread one. I will see one, a quarterback who, when he's just playing point guard and distributing and getting guys out in space, it looks very normal. And then I'll see guys who we saw it against Maryland, where he's chucking balls that hit his own guys in the back of the head. He's, it's he's sidearming things that I don't feel like need to be sidearmed. I think there are um, fundamental breakdowns sometimes, just in the way. And I'm no quarterback coach, but from what I can see, it looks like fundamental breakdowns and how he goes about his mechanics and throwing the ball. And that seems like a potential catastrophe for a team who, when as we talked about again, just look at the Purdue game, look at the Michigan state game. Like you cannot give Ohio state openings and it's not about turning the ball over in um, Ohio state's plus territory or whatever. It's about just not having three and outs. It's about punting as seldom as you possibly can and not, you know, making sure if you have to attempt a field goal, that it's a very short field goal and not like a 40 some yard field goal. Like, and, and he seems like the potential difference maker in whether, Michigan can get that next gear that really threatens Ohio state. He feels out of the Adrian Martinez, Sean Clifford mode a little bit that like at their best, 
It's like, oh, but then like they're never at their best for a whole game. So at least there's an upside there, right? So I do think the sidearm thing, and they talked about that in the Maryland game. So J.J. McCarthy, the five-star true freshman quarterback that we've been talking about all year that we talked about at the beginning of the season, he did not play in the Penn State game. It was the first time since week four that Cade McNamara played the whole game. And then against Maryland, Cade McNamara like got a pass swatted down because he threw it sidearm and Jim Harbaugh like took him out in the first quarter mm-hmm. and JJ McCarthy like started the next drive. And the, the sideline reporter on the game said, Jim Harbaugh was like, stop throwing it sidearm. So Ohio state, they could swat passes against Michigan state and Cade McNamara. It is his instinct. I, I don't know. He really gets down there sometimes. And I, maybe I'll give away my outrageous prediction. Can I predict that Ohio state gets an interception off a batted ball because it feels like that's, there for the taking but he's inconsistent they do work mccarthy in mccarthy threw like michigan had this great one-handed touchdown catch against maryland it was on a mccarthy throw like they got mccarthy in the game early i think mccarthy is going to play in the first half against ohio state that they didn't do it against penn state but i think they have to like that's their wrinkle tate mccarthy right they put him in the run he throws a little bit. I think he will play, but you know, McNamara was really good against Michigan state, Nathan. So if you get that McNamara against again, an Ohio state pass defense that let's Denzel Burke's playing awesome. So like Michigan state doesn't have a guy like Denzel Burke. Michigan doesn't have a guy like Denzel Burke. Like when you got a number one corner. Okay. It's like, can you, everybody's somewhat susceptible to slants and tight end stuff in the middle of the field. If you have a quarterback who's willing to throw it. So I don't know that, Ohio State is super susceptible to the best of Cade McNamara, but at least there's a peak there. So he's up, but he's also going to do some stuff that's going to put him in a bind. So that's just kind of, that's kind of who he is. And we've been waiting for JJ McCarthy to like take over the starting job. He's clearly not going to do that, but I do think he'll be involved in the game plan on Saturday because again, they're rolling the dice a little bit this year. They're going to be fundamental, 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 take a risk. And JJ McCarthy's part of that. They've got to have something dialed up for him to play. McCarthy's season has been interesting as we followed it along. The most he played, I think was against Indiana. He was five of 10 in that game for 55 yards with a pick and two sacks taken. So not a sterling performance. And in that, in that regard, he looks a little bit like Kyle McCord. Like a true freshman comes in, you see the ceiling, you see the promise, you see where that could go eventually, but not yet there yet. I mean, first year in, in college football, all that stuff. But then against Maryland the other day, five of five for 58 yards and a touchdown. Um, you know, he's, he's, he, there's something there. And I'm curious as to how they'll use it too. I think we thought this was trending at midseason. We thought this was trending towards him having a bigger role, or at least I kind of did the way that they were using because they were using him so often. And it made right. you wonder, like, are they just breaking him in slowly? And then maybe by November, they just turn this job over to him or he becomes a much bigger part of it. And now it still seems more like a niche, like more yes. like just a change of pace. He's a change of pace quarterback. I agree. Yeah. that, And I think he's been fine. And it is, again, it is weird to have a five-star quarterback that you kind of use as a run threat, but McNamara just isn't going to do that. And they'll, they, it's not like they give him a drive. They give him two plays, then they take him out, then they'll bring him in for a play, then they take him out. So it's something that Ohio State has to prepare for, but it's not going to be J.J. 
McCarthy's game to win. Anything else on the offensive side of the ball? We're obviously going to talk about this later in the week. We'll probably have, I'm, I'm, we're planning a podcast very similar to the one we had last week where we brought on um, an opposing beat writer to kind of go in depth on the opponent. Anything else you want to get into today? Yes, you know, I, I don't know that Michigan has any great receivers, but they had some guys who've made some plays the last couple of weeks, right? There was a, a play, Roman Wilson's a guy for them who there was a ball against Penn State where Joey Porter Jr., the Penn State corner, who I talk about a lot, who I really like, who gets grabby though sometimes. You know, he just beat Porter off the line, beat him with an inside release, and McNamara put it on a dime for like a 25-yard touchdown. It was just like, what was that? It was like, oh, that was like our receiver beating a future NFL corner off the line in single coverage, getting inside leverage and the quarterback putting it on his hands in the end zone. It's like, well, that looked pretty good, you know? And then they, they had this, they had the guy make the one-handed catch. Like they, they've had a couple guys sort of like pop it up and making plays. I mean, they're nowhere near obviously Ohio state's receivers, but for a team that I think has been looking for some playmakers, I I'll be curious to hear what the Michigan guys say. You know, kind of like what Chris Olave did against Michigan in 2018. Could there be a Michigan receiver who kind of pops up in this game that's been coming along slowly that is like, oh, no, that guy had a huge game in the rivalry. And I think they maybe have a couple candidates for that. And Eric, all the tight end, he had the big touchdown catch against Penn State and is a guy that I wonder if they'll try to get him matched up with linebackers or get him matched up with somebody. He's their second most. He's their second leading receiver in terms of number of receptions this year. 31 uh, in the leader Johnson has 34. So he's been almost their most frequent target in some ways. Only one touchdown though. Not, not a big yardage guy, obviously as a tight end, but something that they could use to maybe augment if Ohio state comes out and is able to stop the run. That's a guy that you could use to sort of augment that a little bit. And I I do think, again, this is preliminary. We just want to get to it early. It's the it's Michigan week. We want to get to it. We're not, we're not some of these podcasts we've been dropping Monday afternoon, man, we're dropping this. Monday morning, so you guys get it hot and fresh. It feels like Michigan uses motion pretty well. I mean, Ryan Day is really good at that. But Josh Gaddis, they they have some moving parts. Like, I do think they try to stress the defense a little bit. They don't have the talent to do it like Ohio State does. But it, it feels like they they have an idea. So there's just some things. It's not a lot of static hey, we're just going to chuck it to this guy. You know, like they try to move pieces around. And again, I just think you have to be on alert for them having a little more in reserve that they've been holding back because maybe they've really been targeting this more maybe than they have in past years. We're going to get much more into the game as the week goes along. We are going to take a break there and come back with the Monday Madness categories here on Buckeye Talk. So we've already crossed off some of these. Let's jump ahead to walk the line, although we are recording this on Sunday before the line officially comes out. Should we guess what we think this line is going to be? Yeah, so I thought there was like an early line, but you were saying that it's kind of like an off-season line that says like it's six or six and a half. So I think it's going to be in that range, actually. I think it could be in that range. Six and a half, seven, somewhere in there. But I will say... In a world where I've been saying the lines feel high, doesn't that feel low? Yes. I know it's at Michigan, but I don't care. I don't care where the game is. That, that's, that's not going to have a huge effect. Doesn't it feel like 10? I, I, th- I think it feels more like 10 than it does 
less than a touchdown. People don't think that Ohio State, Ohio State's offense, they won't win by more than a touchdown against anybody that's not Georgia. I mean, I got, I don't mean to go crazy, but it just, it feels a little low to me. I was chatting with our buddy, Tyler Shoemaker, T-Shoe, and everyone should listen to his uh, Section 111 podcast that he does with, it's his brother, right? Um, yes. And he does a lot of, so they talk about the betting lines and stuff on there too. And you can, I'll let I, him. I, act, I actually will be on that show this week. Oh, wow. Guest appearance on Wednesday for the Section 11 podcast. Congratulations. One, so, uh, Section 111. So listen to the other episodes. You can listen to that one too if you want to, but um, do they only do one a week? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, probably. They're probably going to do an extra one this week to make sure they're for the non Doug Marie's fans. They still have an option <laughs> for everyone who's boycotting Doug. We are going to do another episode. Um, so he'll go. He'll probably go into his his thinking more on there. I don't want to give away his process, but he was saying that his line is that he would come up with is lower but that he thinks that there's going to be so much action on Ohio state that the book, it'll, it'll probably be a few points higher. So what I think is tough right now is when you go by efficiency metrics and how they come up with those power rankings, Michigan's are going to be pretty good, but they've been beaten up on Indiana and Maryland the last few weeks. That makes their defensive metrics look stronger than maybe they are. Maybe not stronger than they are relative to the rest of college football, but irrelevant when you try to compare it to Ohio state, I guess is maybe the better way to say it. And then Ohio State, similarly, will come out and obliterate somebody for a half like they did on Saturday, for instance. And then if the efficiency metrics take into account a whole game, they normalize a little bit. Like the second half, where you only score one touchdown and, and things just get soft because Ohio State's not playing to just demolish the second half. They've already won the game. So that, I think, might get – I think Ohio State right now is, is wrecking the – prognostications a little bit they're just a, a it can be a tough team to cipher but i think you're right that that would seem low to me so i might be right like we were guessing that it might be in that touchdown range maybe it would be even higher just because i think that again public money is going to look at the fact that michigan state beat michigan and now ohio state just obliterated michigan state so how could you buy and we're at 49 to nothing at halftime. How could you possibly only have a one touchdown spread on that game? And I do think, and I was, I've been saying this in regards to Michigan and the way the playoff committee talks about them, their metrics are really high. I think the metrics love their Wisconsin win, yes. but Wisconsin sucked when they played Michigan yes. and Wisconsin has figured it out in the second half of the year. And so the Wisconsin team that is now sort of getting back to being Wisconsin and steamrolling Iowa and steamrolling Purdue, that is not the Wisconsin team that played Michigan. This Braylon Allen freshman guy for Wisconsin, who's become like their, the next star tailback at Wisconsin, he carried it five times for 19 yards against Michigan. He has gained at least 100 yards in the seven games since then. And he just ran 22 for 228 against Nebraska. It's like they didn't know what they were doing and they figured it out. But like, so I think like metrically, Michigan's getting a lot of credit for a good, like very good Wisconsin win where they won by three scores, 38-17. That actually is, is not reflected in reality. So 
I just, the metrics we've said, the metrics love Michigan, but they also kind of do what they do. And, and metrics don't have eyeballs. And again, like the, the, the metrics would also take into account a win at Penn state because Penn state is still a team that regardless of their record reflects well in the metrics, even Nebraska has a little bit of weight in the metrics. And then the one loss was on the road against a good team, Michigan state. So I think all those things combine, but it, it, again, it, it sort of crystallizes the tears to me. It's like all everything we're saying is true. All those things can actually be true about Michigan, but it doesn't matter if you're playing a team that's on maybe a different plane that it's just, you're there. You're the dividing line is here. You might be the best of all these other teams that don't belong in this other conversation. And it, it, it changed it it kind of ruins the conversation a little bit. And that's how I feel about them a little bit. And it's like, if just, if you're betting, it's like, well, I don't know whatever the metrics are or whatever. I'd give a touchdown with the Ohio state. Like yep. if it's, if it's less than seven for real, then I, I would feel confident taking Ohio state. But also we say that as people who have given horrible gambling advice all year. So how state has an eight game winning streak in this series, big 10 championship aspirations on the line playoff qualification on the line on the road in Ann Arbor. What's the fear factor? Oh, I, I, probably like an eight, right? I mean, cause they have some guys cause the, the Mike McDonald factor, the Aiden Hutchinson factor, the Donovan Edwards factor, you know, it's just in, and maybe did all the coaching changes. They basically almost like they fired their coach for real. I mean, they basically changed the foundation of the Michigan football program by hiring seven new assistants in the off season. It was the most coaching, the biggest coaching change you can have without changing your head coach. And if you read the Michigan coverage and go read it on mlive.com, I've been reading it all year. There's just a lot of stuff about feels like the team's more connected, like that it, it has wiped the slate clean a little bit. So if that includes wiping the slate clean of, hey, we can't beat Ohio State and we've tried the revenge tour, we've tried the we're favored, everybody thinks we're good, and like none of that has worked, maybe if they wipe out the intangibles and they just play football, they've got a better chance. They have a better football chance than they have an intangibles chance because the, the it has reached the point, it is not extra motivation for Michigan to be like, we're going to win for the first time. It's more like, oh, my God, are we ever going to win? Right? So you've got to ignore it. And maybe they're able to do that a little bit. Yeah, I, I had this. I was thinking like a seven. They are also talking about the game in a different way. Like they've started to adopt something more of like an Ohio State approach to this game in the way they talk about it, at least publicly. And we'll see. Maybe day late and a dollar short. It may be that they, it doesn't matter how much they talk about it, and how much they try to focus on it. But We'll see. I think it could be a game. I, I was surprised that Ohio State embarrassed Michigan State the way it did, and I would be surprised if they embarrassed Michigan the way they have the last couple of times. I think it could be more competitive than that, but that doesn't mean it wouldn't still potentially just be comfortable because Ohio State just seems to be in that groove. For sure. And we just thought, like, if you thought, well, as good as everybody is, like Kenneth Walker the third between Michigan State and Michigan is like the biggest game changer on either of those teams because Aiden Hutchinson is going to be higher, a higher NFL draft pick, but Kenneth Walker, the third is going to have the ball in his hands 30 times in a game like this. And he's it's like, and it just was wiped out. So I do think that was wiped out to such a degree that it almost might throw off our read on some of this stuff, but 
yes, I don't, don't think it will be as easy for Ohio State as it was against Michigan State, but I think I would give the sec, the six and a half. Before we get into all the things that are going on with the playoff, I want to real quickly visit what's happening in the West. Wisconsin and Iowa are both six and two. If Wisconsin beats Minnesota on Saturday, it goes to the Big Ten Championship game because regardless of what Iowa does, it would have the head-to-head tiebreaker over Iowa, both being seven and two because Wisconsin beat Iowa head-to-head. If Wisconsin loses and Iowa wins, Iowa goes to the Big Ten Championship game. But the, is it is it would that be a three way tie tiebreaker? Then is that well, Iowa wins a three way tiebreaker? Because when Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota all have three conference losses. Then, well, I was going to get to that. Like if if Wisconsin loses and Iowa wins, Iowa would be the only seven and two team. They're both six and two right now. Oh, okay, okay. I believe that's correct. Wisconsin, Wisconsin, Iowa are six and two. Purdue and Minnesota are five and three. So if okay. if Wisconsin loses to Minnesota, Minnesota would be six and three. But if Iowa wins, it would be seven and two. Iowa goes to the Big Ten championship game. If Wisconsin loses, which means that Minnesota wins and Iowa loses and Purdue wins, you would have four, six and three teams in the West. So then the first thing you go to is the round robin of who has the best record there. Wisconsin, Minnesota would both be two and one. And then it goes to head to head. Wisconsin beat Minnesota. Wisconsin would go to the Big Ten championship game. No, Wisconsin did beat. No, I'm sorry. Minnesota beat Wisconsin. Correct. So there's still basically three opponents that are available for whoever wins the Ohio State-Michigan game. It could either be Wisconsin, Iowa, or Minnesota. And I think everyone is really looking forward to a rematch between Ohio State and Minnesota when Minnesota's best player no longer is on the, available to play. How about this? This should be the rule if you have a four-way tie for first. You get to send an all-star team composed of the best players from those four teams. You know, it's, that would be a really interesting topic to get into on the pod later this week if we want to be completely obnoxious, because in some ways, that team should definitely beat Ohio State. But in other ways, like, who's the quarterback that you really think is going to beat Ohio State well, we out of, do like, that. all of that? I mean, if Ohio State beats Michigan is going to the, to the Big Ten championship game, we can do that. It would be, like, it would be the Thursday pod. Would an all-star team from the West beat Ohio State? And what would that all-star team look like? And then like Paul Christ or PJ Fleck or Kirk Ferentz can print out that transcript of that podcast and hang it in their locker room. And we can be responsible for the greatest upset in big 10 history. Well, I, I think it would be, if we wanted to reach for the stars and, and produce the most obnoxious piece of Ohio state media content that week, I think we would probably be a strong, strong contender now, um, at that point. This is not a shot at anybody else's Ohio State coverage. People listening to this know there is a lot of obnoxious Ohio State yeah, coverage. That's what I'm saying. That, We'd have so, to really. That, that would be, I mean, if we're talking obnoxious in the dear God, how could anyone ever beat Ohio State line of thinking? We would really, that would be a strong push for us to try to win that race because that is very competitive. So let's talk about what happened on the national level. We had been saying all along, telling Ohio State fans who were had consternation about the either the AP rankings or the college football rankings to hang on and let things develop because Ohio State was going to get some big matchups where it could get some big wins regardless of what the final score was and Oregon seemed vulnerable Oregon had been sort of tap dancing on a landmine for a while 
And both of those things converged on Saturday. Ohio State not only gets a win over a top 10 team, but they absolutely just blasted them back to the Stone Age. And Oregon fell in a really hard way on the road at Utah in what was really its own blowout. Like Utah just dominated that game. It was not close. I was watching a lot of it last night while I was doing some other work. It was, you know, 21 to nothing. Then Utah returns a like an 80 yard punt right before as the time expires a half. Like it was just, it was off to the races. So 38 to seven. So those that removes any roadblock there was, I think, for Ohio State to move up in the rankings. So the first thing I want to talk about is actually you'll talk about this more on the college football separator show. So maybe we should talk. Sorry. Survivor. Survivor show. <laughs> if you guys have quit changing your name every week, I would be able to, to remember uh, the college football survivor show. I'm sure you'll get into that a lot more. So let's talk about the other interesting development here, which is removing Oregon opens a spot for Cincinnati to get into the top four. And could we be headed for a potential Ohio state Cincinnati playoff matchup? So it didn't matter if Oregon would have won Ohio state still would have passed them. I mean, the, the committee probably been waiting, I think so. Yeah. I was waiting. Yeah. I mean, they were going to do it. It was no doubt about it. They've been setting that up and it's just, but anybody who was like, how dare they didn't do it before. It's like, Ohio state hadn't beat anybody as you've been pointing out. They hadn't beat anybody. Like just chill out. No, they should not have done it before, but they definitely were going to do it now. But now that discussion is dead because Oregon got blown out. I think but, if Oregon had won, if Oregon had gone to Utah and won 38 to seven, maybe not. Cause that would have been their own convincing, pretty good win. But I think you're, you're right. Once it was like 14, nothing in that game. I knew that that was flipping. So, I mean, it was just nothing to be worried about. The one last big 10 champ is going to be the number two seed in the playoff unless they're the number one seed. So like everybody can chill, but it really matters for Cincinnati. And I thought Cincinnati was in good shape anyway, but the fact that now there's not going to be an ACC team in the playoff and there's not going to be a PAC 12 team in the playoff. It's like, well, who's going to be in the playoff. So we are now at the point, And this is what I tweeted on Saturday night. We are moving past the, is Cincinnati going to make the playoff discussion and moving toward is Ohio state Cincinnati going to be the two, three game. Because the way it's shaping up now, it's like, well, who who's going to make it? So if you think, and let's not even talk seeds yet, but if you think, okay, Georgia's in, the one last Big Ten champ is in, and Cincinnati's in if they win out, who's the fourth team? The contenders to be the fourth team are the one last Big 12 champ, which would have to be either Oklahoma or Oklahoma State. They play this week to end the regular season, and then depending, there could be a rematch in the Big 12 championship game. One loss, Notre Dame, which has its loss to Cincinnati, or two loss, Bama, plays Georgia close and gets in even with two losses, or if Alabama beats Georgia, right, then of course Alabama's in. So those are the three teams that can be the four seed. But like all of that, like Cincinnati's in. Like I think, like I think Cincinnati, I think, is ahead of the one loss Big 12 champ. Cincinnati better be ahead of Notre Dame or we burn the committee hotel down figuratively and Cincinnati's ahead of two lost Bama I think but like they don't even have to be ahead of two lost Bama because they can get in anyway right so now it becomes can you imagine if we get a week of bowl prep either in what is it the orange bowl and the cotton bowl are the two playoff semifinals right either in Miami or Dallas we're there for a week doing Ohio State Cincinnati are you kidding me? Because there actually would be less buildup 
there's always less buildup for the national title game kind of, because it's like, you're not there as long and it's a little, the, there's less time in between, but so we could see Ohio state Cincinnati in a semi or somehow what if we got Ohio state Cincinnati in the national championship game in Indianapolis? Like that would be insane, but that's all out there right now. That's where we are. Cause I really think, I mean, and by the way, Cincinnati SMU was eight and two and Cincinnati took care of them. That was yep. like Cincinnati's second best win of the season other than Notre Dame. So like Cincinnati also, while getting help, also took care of its own big business in a huge way. So there is a lot that could be happening here with, with college football and the Buckeye State. Yeah, I had, I had a really tough choice to make two through four on my ballot this week, I thought. I ended up putting Ohio State second, Alabama third, Cincinnati fourth. I'd been voting Cincinnati second. When I compared Cincinnati and Ohio State head-to-head, even though you could argue that Cincinnati's win at Notre Dame is still the best win of that group, that when you look over the balance of an entire schedule, like the SMU game is is Cincinnati's other good win, and none of these other wins are anything approaching what you'd call a good win. Like they haven't played anybody else. And I think that Cincinnati is – I know people are going to say, well, that's been the case all year. That's true. But not until now has Ohio State really had another win that separates itself in the conversation. So that's why I put Ohio State up to two. But then when I started to, there still is, you could argue, not that much separation between the full resume of Ohio State and Alabama. I think you could still argue that. They, Ohio, Alabama doesn't have a recent win or, or a win of the emphatic nature of what Ohio State just did to Michigan State, which, is, which was my separator to put Ohio State higher. But I think you can argue that Alabama's season is comparable enough to Ohio State. That if you're going to move Ohio State up, I also had to move Alabama up. So that's why I, eventually, I ended up putting Bama ahead of Cincinnati. But that's my top four this week and Michigan number five. Yeah, I would disagree with that. You were voting Cincinnati ahead of Alabama last week, right? That's what you said. You had Cincinnati yes. too. And so Cincinnati blows out SMU and Alabama, frankly, has a little trouble with Arkansas. And the result is that Alabama moves past Cincinnati. Yes, but I think Ohio State moved up. But Arkansas is also better than SMU is. That's also a sure. Yes. Because Arkansas, again, is one of these bottom. Arkansas got destroyed by Georgia. Why is Arkansas good? Why are you sure Arkansas is better than SMU? Well, because I've seen Arkansas beat better teams than SMU. We're dancing in Mississippi State territory here. So I I think Ohio State and Cincinnati should both be ahead of Alabama. So I understand if you had Ohio state behind Alabama previously, and then Ohio state's win over Michigan state is enough to move up Ohio state. I think that makes that sense. I'm not sure why that also means you have to have Alabama ahead of Cincinnati now. Well, because at some point though, when you look at Cincinnati's, the totality of Cincinnati's schedule, and it's a lot of nothing. I think you have to give Alabama credit for even if these aren't like top 15 teams that they're playing every week, they are significantly, I think, in a different category than what Cincinnati plays on a weekly basis. But Cincinnati just had its second best win of the year. SMU is probably the second best team it's played. They blew them out. And this is the week you moved Alabama ahead because they beat Arkansas that has four losses. I think that's fair. But just because it's Cincinnati's second best win of the year doesn't necessarily mean that's relative to Cincinnati's schedule and only Cincinnati schedule, where would SMU rank on either Ohio state or Alabama's list of opponents that they've played so far? Third. Mm. 
You think SMU is better than Penn but State? I just, but, but, but then you should have had Alabama ahead of Cincinnati already. That, okay, that's maybe, maybe that was the error. Maybe you're right. I mean, if, the, if that's what you think, because like Cincinnati was like not beating Navy and Tulane or whatever by, by big enough margins. And now they completely dominated an eight and two SMU team. It's like in the top 30 or top 35 from like football outsiders metrics. And now this is the week that Alabama passes them because Alabama was in a one score game with Arkansas in the final six minutes Our four loss Arkansas. That's all. I understand where you're coming from. And I think it's, it's possible that, yeah, maybe I I don't think Ohio State and Alabama have to be connected. We've talked about this. There, I think we talked about the playoff show. There are some teams that are like connected, right? It's like Michigan and Michigan State were kind of connected. And Notre Dame and Cincinnati are connected. And Oregon and Ohio State were connected. And sometimes it's like, man, it's hard to disconnect some of those teams because it's like, well, this team beat that team. And that's, and that's why Oregon was third because they were connected to Ohio State and the committee was acknowledging that. And now, like, Oregon's going to plunge in the committee rankings because finally they're disconnected. And I think that Notre Dame is sort of helped by Cincinnati a little bit at this point. They're like, well, who was Notre Dame really beaten? It's like, well, they only lost to Cincinnati and they're undefeated otherwise. And a one last thing, but I I don't know that Alabama, I have thought that Alabama and Ohio state were probably closer than they were in the rankings, but the point of who's Ohio state beaten, I thought was valid. And now they beat somebody, but um, you know, Alabama's best win is Ole Miss. Cincinnati's win is better than that. Alabama's second best win is what? I mean, it depends on, I guess, what your what metrics you want to go by for that. Um, it could be. Um, I don't have the games here. I just have one of the things I did was take the names off of teams and just kind of go by the the rankings. Um, Alabama's second best win is like Arkansas or Mississippi State, right? Probably, yeah. Um, who did they be after Mississippi State? Hold on a second. So, I mean, it's it's just it's just the reality of that that SEC kind of stuff. I mean, they have the Miami win. Miami's no better than average. They have, but anybody I, else in the West? SEC I just West. I don't see the separation between they beat Tennessee fifty two to twenty four. So they have a lot of games that are in that range. But the, the, to me, there's not. I don't see that as significantly different than an Ohio State schedule with games like Penn State, Nebraska. Who else, like it dries up pretty fast. But, but why are you, you connecting? Get... Why are you connecting Ohio State and Alabama in a way that moves Cincinnati down? That's the thing that I don't get. When you've had Cincinnati ahead of Alabama the whole time, and now Cincinnati, I think it blows more, I think out more, a top thirty-five team. I think it's and, more what you sort of insinuated that I think I'm correcting something that, if I'm judging it this way, I should have been doing it previously. So I understand why that looks bad, but I think that's a correction more to how I see this. But it was close. Like it was, I went back and forth on who I was going to put two through four. Because I said on the playoff show last week, the reason I thought Cincinnati was in good shape because that was the bottom for Cincinnati. That was as low as their perception was going to get. Because now finally they were going to actually play some decent teams because they're going to play eight and two SMU, six and four East Carolina, and then a Houston team that's at the border of the top twenty-five to end the season. And they had survived like whatever, South Florida, Central Florida, Navy, Tulane, Tulsa, like stuff. And they finally were going to get to play some real teams again. 
So right when they finally played a real team is right at the moment when you finally move them behind Alabama. It's like, oh, it's hard to be a Bearcat, man. Fair. I will say I'm I'm curious to see what the F-plus rankings do, ratings do with Cincinnati after this win. Does it help them a lot? or Because they're, they're definitely a tier below where F-plus looks at Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama. So if you take that as a factor at all, too, just performance. No. No, as they've been all year. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like this, the way I voted today, if anything, was a correction to how maybe I should have been voting before. I was giving Cincinnati more credit for being undefeated than maybe I should have. Okay. I'd still give them credit because I think, I think comparatively, I I I still would. My ballot this week, I could see Ohio State, Cincinnati is close. I definitely would have Ohio State ahead of Alabama Mm -hmm. based off Ohio State's win. I probably might go this week. Georgia, Cincinnati, Ohio State, Alabama would probably be my ballot. And I almost did that. I was I was close to doing that. I was close to doing Georgia, OSU, Cincinnati, Alabama, which is I think how the coaches poll just turned out. And we'll find out in you know less than an hour what the AP poll finally turned out. I think I think Ohio State's going to move up. I think it'll probably be Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Cincinnati. But, but I, I think- also think next week after Ohio State Michigan weekend, I think the winner of Ohio State Michigan should be number two everywhere. And I think might be both in the polls and with the committee. Because I think that they, because sh- Auburn stinks now, Auburn's nothing. Auburn's quarterback is out there, nothing. That's not going to be anything that matters for Alabama. Cincinnati, East Carolina, they have a winning record, but it, compared to beating Michigan, it's nothing. And so I think at that point, that would be the number two team in the country to me is the Ohio State-Michigan winner. And I think what I have is probably what's going to be the top four for the playoff on Tuesday night. I think it'll be Georgia, probably Ohio State over Alabama, but I'm not sure about that. But they said it was close last week, and then Ohio State went out and clubbed the team yes. that was in the top ten. I think that's going to matter. I think it's going to be Georgia, Ohio, Ohio State, Alabama, and I think Cincinnati will be the fourth team. We're going to get a much better read on what the committee really thinks of Ohio State because they are now disconnected from Oregon. And now, now Ohio State can fly free. Yep. And there are people in that room who I'm sure have been saying, how do you stop this offense? How do you stop this offense? How do you stop this offense? They should be higher. They should be higher. They should be higher. And now that can happen. And Florida has fired Dan Mullen. Massive, jobs available baby massive openings that means lsu usc florida are all open right now washington and washington yeah and, and washington others state were, and washington yep. state yeah. i mean this is this is why i think scott frost is still coaching in nebraska next year one of the reasons no i think that's right there's not going to be it'll, it'll be fascinating um, and apparently like James Franklin apparently was like talking about stuff that makes it sound like he's getting, a, he's signing a new deal at Penn state that might come out this week. PJ Fleck signed the big deal at Minnesota. It's like, who are these teams going to hire? I'll be, I'll be really curious how the dominoes fall here because there are going to be some people stretching for some stuff. And like Steve Sarkeesian stinks at Texas right now. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not saying they're going to fire Steve Sarkeesian after a year, but like, Texas is having like its worst year in a hundred years. 
all the stats are like Texas hasn't lost this many games since blank. They haven't had a losing streak like this since blank. And that was like one of the great supposed hires of the offseason last year. So it, it's going to get it's going to get wild here. I mean, that guy just lost. He just lost the culture of the, yeah. the fan base and the team and whatever. And like, he just even like he did himself no favors with the way he almost talked himself out of the job. Now they also played like crap the last two months, but this was a team that was played Bama to two points. And then he just completely fell off a cliff. So Dan Mullen, Ohio state offensive coordinator next year after Kevin Wilson gets a head coaching job. New Hampshire connection. I think they're the dominoes that are going to fall here could be interesting for some guys on this Ohio state staff guys who want jobs. I think there's going to be some, not for the jobs. Maybe we're talking about, obviously, I don't know that Kevin Wilson's going to USC, but dominoes are going to fall. Yeah, no, they, yeah, he, he gets the job because the guy somewhere went and took another job and then Kevin Wilson maybe gets in the mix somewhere. But again, I don't know. I had this conversation with somebody else. I don't, I don't know if Dan Mullen and Ryan day are, are guys the way that Ryan day and, Chip Kelly are, but everyone talks about that New Hampshire mafia in college football and Dan Mullins from New Hampshire and Dan Mullen was urban's right-hand man, like his whole career. So, you know, I don't know if maybe Ryan wouldn't go there because, and I think Dan Mullen helped get Ryan day to Florida. Cause it was like Ryan day kind of got connected there. Cause like Ryan was a grad assistant at Florida when Dan Mullen was at Florida with urban. I don't know what, how that works. So keep your eye out. Dan Mullen needs a career rehab. It would almost be more like Ryan Day doing Dan Mullen a favor as opposed to like, oh, how does they got Dan Mullen? It's like, well, Ryan Day's calling the offense or whatever. But it's like if they lose a former head coach who's their offensive coordinator, who's a guy for Ryan Day to bounce stuff off of, and Kevin Wilson's done a good job here, then you you replace him with a former head coach who's a guy that Ryan Day can bounce stuff off of. So that's why Dan Mullen is not just Dan Mullen in a vacuum. It's something that Ohio State fans should wonder about if Kevin Wilson gets a head coaching job, but they also might just want to give it to Hartline. If Kevin Wilson leaves, it might be like, Oh, who's your offensive coordinator, Dan Mullen or Brian Hartline. It's like Hartline would like a promotion. Maybe. So we'll see if, and when those dominate dominoes start to affect Ohio state, we will be texting you 614-350-3315 and get the text. If you're not already signed up, it'll take you through the big 10 championship game now. So you, everything that we need to report, and analyze about the game, everything that we need to report and analyze if Ohio State advances to Indianapolis, you'll be getting it right to your phone seven days a week. For Doug Maurice, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk.